Good morning, friends and family. Um, we're in Revelations chapter 8 and 9, and this is really heavy stuff. <laughs> so as I've been reading Revelations 8 and 9 and going through all the um, running references on the scriptures and that type of thing, it it's really enlightening as to the things that we, or not we, maybe, I don't know who, but whoever goes through these times is, are going to be difficult times. But we definitely have the victory in Jesus. But we do need to know what we're going to go through. We do also need to teach others and tell others that um, what we're going to go through, it's not going to be a bed of roses. But it's definitely a win-win situation as long as you walk with Jesus and um, believe and trust and keep the faith. So this part or this section is called Blow the Trumpets. And as I said, we're in Revelations 8 and 9, or I am anyway. Thank you for coming and studying with me. If it, I pray as I always do, that not one seed will be lost, but that you will receive eternal seeds that God wants you to receive. You'll be open for that. Your heart, your spirit, your mind, your soul. Uh, that you will be open to receive all that God has for you. That you will have understanding. That you will have revelation. And we pray these things in the name of Jesus. So, in saying that, the... Let's begin. The seal judgments are now over. The trumpet judgments are about to begin. And these will be followed by the bowl or the vile judgments. So culminating in the destruction of um, Babylon and Christ's return to the earth. Note that from the seals to the trumpet to the bowls, the judgments increase in their intensity. Note that. Um, note also that the trumpet and the bowl judgments touch on the same areas. So as the following summary, like it would be uh, the trumpets, the judgment, the earth, the sea, the rivers, the heavens, mankind, tor uh, dash torment, an army, angry nations. So the trumpet judgments are released during the first half of the tribulation and the bold judgments are released during the last half, which is also called the wrath of God. And if you want to look, look up Revelations 14.10, Revelations 15, 7, in regard to that. The trumpet judgments parallel the plagues that God sent on the land of Egypt. And why not? After all, the whole world will be saying, as did Pharaoh say, who is the Lord that we should serve him? So the opening of the seventh seal and the, and the blowing of the first six trumpets brought about three dramatic results. And we're going to look at those. Um, 
chapter 8, verses 1 through 6, this preparation involves two factors. Silence, a half hour of silence, actually. Revelations 8 and 1, and then supplication, Revelations 8, 2 through 6. The host in heaven had just worshipped the Father and the Lamb with tremendous, a tremendous volume of praise as it's see Revelation 7 verse 10 and 12 but when the lamb opened the seventh seal heaven was silent for about 30 minutes so John does not tell us what caused that silence but several possibilities exist the scroll had now been opened completely and perhaps even turned over and all of heaven could see God's glorious plan unfolding. Possibly the heavenly host were simply awestruck at what they saw. Certainly this silence was, quote, the lull before the storm, for God's intensified judgments were about to be hurled to the earth. In Zephaniah chapter 1 verse 7 Hold thy peace at the presence of the Lord, for the day of the Lord is at hand. See especially verse 16. A day of the trumpet. And then Zechariah 2.13. Be silent, O all flesh, before the Lord, for he is raised up out of his holy habitation. And then Habakkuk 2.20, the Lord is in his holy temple. Let all the earth keep silence before him. So during this silence, the seven angels were given trumpets significant to John because he was a Jew and understood the place of trumpets in Israel's national life. According to Numbers 10, trumpets had three important uses. Now, the first would be they called people together. See Numbers 10, verses 1 through 8. They announced war. See Numbers 10, verse 9. They announced special times. Numbers 10 and 10. So the trumpet sounded at Mount Sinai when the law was given. If we recall back in Exodus 19, 16 through 19, and trumpets were blown when the king was anointed and when he was enthroned. 1 Kings 1, verse, 4, verse 34 and 39. Everyone familiar with the Old Testament would remember the trumpets at the conquest of Jericho. Joshua 6, 13 through 16. The voice of the Lord Jesus Christ sounded to John like a trumpet, Revelation 1.10. The voice of a trumpet summoned John to heaven, Revelation 4.1. And some relate this to the promise of the rapture of the church given in 1 Thessalonians 4.13-18. So sounding seven trumpets certainly... Um, would announce a declaration of war as well as the fact that God's anointed king was enthroned in glory and about to judge his enemies Psalms 2 verses 1 through 5 um, 
As the trumpets declared defeat in Jericho, they'll ultimately bring defeat to Babylon. The awesome silence was followed by the actions of a special angel at the golden altar in heaven. See Revelation 9:13, chapter 14, verse 18, chapter 16, verse 7. And then in the tabernacle and temple, the golden altar stood before the veil and was used for burning incense. Exodus 30, verses 1 through 10. This was the ministry Zacharias was performing when the angel told him that he and Elizabeth would have a son. In Luke 1, verse 5. Burning incense on this altar was a picture of prayer ascending to God. Psalms Psalms 141, verse 2. And then in Revelation... Eight. Let's see. I lose my place. The prayers of the saints, Revelations 8, 4, are not the prayers of a special group of people in heaven who have just arrived at sainthood. To begin with, all of God's children are saints. Let's get that straight. And I know that sounds like old school, but it's, it's biblical. So all God's children are saints set apart for God through faith in Jesus Christ. So 2 Corinthians 1 and 1, 2 Corinthians 9 and 1, also verse 12, and then chapter 13, verse 13. And there's no definite teaching in the scripture that people in heaven pray for believers on the earth. There's no teaching in the Bible about that, or that we can direct our prayers to God through people in heaven. We pray to the Father through the Son, for He alone is worthy. Revelations 5 3. Revelation 5 3. I have a really bad habit of putting an S on Revelation. I, I apologize again for that. For centuries, God's people have been praying, Thy kingdom come, Thy will be done. And now those prayers are about to be answered. So the tribulation uh, martyrs prayed for God to vindicate them. Revelation 6, 9 through 11. And this was a common plea of David in the Psalms as we look at Psalms 7. Let's see. Psalms 26, 35, 52. 55 and 58 for examples so these imprecatory psalms are not expressions of selfish personal vengeance but rather they're cries for god to uphold his holy law and vindicate his people let me get a sip of coffee Okay, on the great day of atonement, the high priest would put incense on the coals in the censer. And then with the blood of the sacrifice, enter the Holy of Holies, Leviticus 16, 11 through 14. But in this scene, the angel put this, the incense on the altar. In other words, the, the angel presented 
the prayers before God and, and then cast the coals from the altar to the earth. The parallel in Ezekiel 10 indicates us that this symbolized God's judgment and the effects described in Revelations 8.5 verify this view. So a storm is about to begin. See Revelation 4 verse 5, 11 verse 19, 16 verse 18. Like it or not, the prayers of God's people are involved in the judgments that he sends. The throne and the altar are related. Let me say that again so we get it. The throne and the altar are related. The purpose of prayer, it has often been said, is not to get man's will done in heaven, but it's to get God's will done on the earth. And even if that will involves judgment, you know how many times we pray, you know, God, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. True prayer is serious business, so we better not move the altar too far from the throne. In chapter 8, verses 7 through 13, the first four trumpet judgments are natural in that they affect the land, the salt water, the fresh water, and the heavenly bodies. The fifth and sixth judgments involve the release of demonic forces that first torment and then kill. The last of the trumpet judgments, see Revelations 11, 15 through 19, creates a crisis among all the nations of the world. And then in verse 7, desolation on earth, hail and fire mingled with blood reminds us of the seventh plague that God sent against Egypt. Exodus 9, verse 18 through 26. The prophet Joel also promised blood and fire in the last days. Joel 2, verse 30. Since this is a supernatural judgment, it's not necessary to try to explain how hail, fire, and blood become mingled. Fire could refer to the lightning of a a severe electrical storm. The target for the judgment is green vegetation, the trees and the grass, one-third of which is burned up. So we can well imagine how this would affect not only the balance of nature, but also our food supply. The Greek word for trees usually means fruit trees, and the destruction of pasture lands would devastate the meat and milk industries. In verses 8 and 9, the desolation in the seas, turning water into blood, reminds us of the first Egyptian plague in Exodus 7, 19 through 21. Note that John did not say that an actual burning mountain was cast out of heaven, but that the fiery object was like a great mountain. That's what he said. A triple judgment resulted. A third part of the salt water turned to blood. A third part of the marine life died, and a third of the ships were destroyed. This will be an ecological, ecological, and and economical 
economic disaster of unprecedented proportions. Considering that the oceans occupy about three-fourths of the Earth's surface, think about that. Considering that the oceans occupy about three-fourths of the Earth's surface, you can imagine the extent of this judgment. The pollution of the water and the death of so many creatures would greatly affect the balance of life in the oceans, and this would doubtless lead to further insoluble problems. As of January 1st, 1981, there were 24,867 ocean-going merchant ships registered. Imagine the shockwaves that would hit the shipping industry if 8,289 valuable ships were suddenly destroyed. And what about their cargoes? Some interpreters take, quote, the sea to mean the Mediterranean Sea. However, this would make a relatively small impact on our world since the Mediterranean covers only 969,100 square miles and averages just 5,000 feet deep. So it's likely that all the major bodies of salt water are included in this judgment. And then next in uh, verses 10 and 11, God's wrath next reaches inland and touches the rivers, excuse me, and touches the fountains, would include the wells and sources of the rivers making the fresh water taste bitter like wormwood. The National Geographic Society lists about 100 principal rivers in the world, ranging in length from the Amazon, which would be 4,000 miles long, to the Rio de la Plata, 150 miles long. The U.S. Geological Survey reports 30 large rivers in the United States, beginning with the mighty Mississippi, which is 3,710 miles long. So one-third of these rivers and their sources will become so bitterly polluted that drinking their water could produce death. So God, uh, God has his stars numbered and named. See Job 9, 9, verse 9, 10. As it talks about the fallen star, it's likely that this fallen star is molten and that as it nears the earth, it begins to disintegrate and fall into the various bodies of water. We can imagine if, if a star actually struck the earth, our globe would be destroyed. So this star must come apart as it enters the atmosphere. This event is a divinely controlled judgment. So we must not try to limit it by the known laws of science. The word translated wormwood, which is popular liquor, liqueur, in some 
countries of the world. The word means undrinkable in the Old Testament was synonymous with sorrow and great calamity. Jeremiah the weeping prophet often used it. You can find it in Jeremiah 9 verse 15, Jeremiah 23 verse 15, Lamentations 3 verse 15, and also 19. And, and so did Amos in Amos 5, verse 7. said, those who turn justice into wormwood. So Moses warned that idolatry would bring sorrow to Israel, like a root producing wormwood, Deuteronomy 29, 18. Solomon warned that immorality might seem pleasant, but in the end it produces bitterness like wormwood. And it tells us that in Proverbs 5, 4. If the people who drink from these waters are in danger of dying, what must happen to the fish and other creatures that live in these waters? And what would happen to the vegetation, say, near these rivers? If the ecologists are worried about the deadly consequences of water pollution today, what will they think when the third trumpet blows? There's no direct parallel here to any of the plagues of Egypt. But after the Exodus, Israel encountered bitter waters at Mara, which means bitter. Mara means bitter. So Moses had to purify the water supply in Exodus 15. But no supernatural purification will be available during the tribulation. In verses 12 through 13, the judgments from the first three trumpets affected only a third part of the land and waters. But this fourth judgment affects the entire world. It gets to the very source of the earth's life and energy, the sun. And with one-third less sunlight on the earth, there will be one-third less energy available to support the life system, not only of man, but of nature. So this judgment parallels the ninth plague in Egypt. See, uh, Exodus 10, 21 through 23 which lasted three days. In Amos 5, verse 18, the day of the Lord is darkness and not light. So think of the vast changes in temperatures that will occur and how these will affect human health and even food growth for us. It's possible that this particular judgment is temporary for the fourth bowl Judgment will reverse it, and the sun's power will be intensified. Revelation 16, verse 8 through 9. And then at the close of the tribulation, the sun and moon will be darkened again to announce the Savior's return. Matthew 24, 29 through 30, and also Luke 21, 25 through 28. Blow ye the trumpet in Zion, said the prophet Joel, for the day of the Lord cometh, a day of darkness and of gloominess. Joel 2, verses 1 and 2. 
So darkness indeed, not only will nature suffer loss, but human nature will take advantage of the long darkness and no doubt indulge in crime and wickedness. Everyone that doeth evil hateth the light. John 3 verse 20. At this point, a remarkable messenger will appear in the sky proclaiming woe to the earth's inhabitants. Most manuscripts have eagle here instead of angel, but either one would certainly get God's attention. Could this be the eagle-like living creature that John saw worshiping um, before the throne in Revelation 4, 7, verse 7 and 8? Will God send it on, a special, on this special mission? We don't know. There are so many things we don't know. We cannot say for sure, but it is, there is a possibility. The three woes in Revelations 8.13 refer to the judgment yet, excuse me, judgments yet to come when the remaining three angels blow their trumpets. So it's as though the messenger cried, if you think this has been terrible, just wait. So the worst is yet to come. The phrase uh, inhabitants of the earth or them that dwell on the earth is found 12 times in Revelation. And it means much more than, quote, people who live on the earth, for it's where all living people reside. So instead it refers to a kind of people, those who live for the earth and the things of the earth. Let me say that again. I believe instead it refers to a kind of people, those who live for the earth and the things of the earth. So these are just the opposite of people who have their citizenship in heaven. Philippians 3, 18 through 21. John described this worldly sort well in his first letter. When in 1 John 2 verse 15 through 17 and later in this prophecy he again makes it clear that earth dwellers are not born again revelations 13 verse 8 earth dwellers are not born again so at the beginning of human history heaven and earth were united because of our first parents they honored god and obeyed his will Satan tempted them to focus on the earth. They disobeyed God, and ever since, a great gulf has been fixed between heaven and earth. The chasm was bridged when the Son of God came to earth and died for the sins of the world. Okay, now we're going to go into chapter 9, and... um, beginning at verse 1 through 21. And Revelation 9 describes two frightening armies that are liberated at just the right time and permitted to judge mankind. In verses 1 through 12, the army from the pit, the bottomless pit, is literally the pit of the abyss. 
And Luke makes it clear that this pit is the abode of the demons, Luke 8, 31. And John states that Satan will be temporarily jailed there during our Lord's reign on the earth, Revelations 21 through 3. And then the Antichrist, i.e. the beast, will ascend out of this pit, Revelations 11, 7 and 17, verse 8. It is not the lake of fire, for that is the final prison for Satan and all who follow him. See Revelations 20, verse 10. But it's part of the hidden underworld under the Lord's authority. Today, the fearsome army described here is ready It's already incarcerated, waiting for the hour of liberation. So this fallen star is a person, the king over the beings in the pit, Revelations 9-11. He does not have complete authority, for the key to the pit had to be given to him before he could loose his army. So this, quote, star is probably Satan and the army, his demons, Ephesians 6, verse 10. One of the names for Satan is Lucifer, which means brightness. He also is compared to the morning star, um, Isaiah 14, 12 through 14. Jesus said to his disciples, I beheld Satan as lightning fall from heaven. In Luke 10, verse 18, when the pit was opened, smoke emerged as though the door of a furnace had been loosened. Jesus compared hell to a furnace of fire, Matthew 13, verse 42 and verse 50. And then an image that ought to make people stop and think before they jest about it, because it's not funny. It's true. It's it's horrendous. It's terrible what people will go through that follow the devil. The smoke polluted the air and darkened the sun, which had already been darkened when the fourth trumpet trumpet sounded. But it is what came out of the smoke that truly terrorized mankind, and that was an army of demons compared to locusts. The eighth plague in Egypt was a devastating swarm of locusts. Exodus 10, 1 through 20. People who have never encountered these insects have little idea of the damage that they can do. When God wanted to judge his people, he would sometimes send locusts to devour the harvest. Deuteronomy 28, verses 38, verse 42, and Joel 2. These are not literal locusts because locusts don't have scorpion-like stings in their tails or stingers in their tails. These creatures do not devour the green vegetation. In fact, they're prohibited from from doing so. So this demonic army is given the assignment of tormenting all who have not been protected by the seal of God. The 144,000 men from the tribes of Israel would escape this painful judgment because they had the seal of God on them. Revelation 7, 1 through 8. 
So it's likely that all who have trusted the Lord will be sealed in some special way and protected from torment. And I'm trying to think there's a scripture that says we are marked by God. And and offhand, I can't think where it is right now, but it should be in here. I should have had it in here. But anyway, so the normal lifespan of the locust is, listen to this, about five months, May to September. And this is the length of time that the judgment will last. These demons will sting people and they will create such pain that their victims will actually want to die. But death will flee from them, as it says in Jeremiah 8, verse 3. Reading the detailed description of these creatures, we realize that John is not writing about ordinary locusts. But despite its its obvious symbolism, it aptly portrays a powerful enemy armed for battle. So with bodies like horses, but faces like men, the demons' heads are crowned and covered with long hair. They have teeth like those of lions, and their skin is like a coat of mail. And when they fly, the noise is like an army of chariots rushing by. It is unnecessary to try to spiritualize these symbols or to interpret them in the light of modern means of warfare. John is heaping image upon image to force us to feel the horror of this judgment. Real locusts do not have a king. Proverbs 30, verse 27. But this army follows the rule of Satan, the angel of the bottomless pit, and his name is Destroyer, the thief. Satan cometh not but for to steal and to kill and to destroy. John 10 and 10. And most Christians know that verse. <laughs> most Christians know that verse because we're, we're taught it at an early age. We learn it at an early age. The enemy came to steal, kill, and destroy us. There's nothing good he has for us. Real locusts are pervasive destroyers. But this army only tortures those who do not belong to the Lord. So as God's people, we can be thankful that Jesus Christ holds the keys of hell and death. As it says in Revelations 1 verse 18, and exercises divine authority even over Satan. God has his timetable for all these events, and nothing will happen too soon, nothing will happen too late. 2 Thessalonians 2.6, note also Revelations 9, verse 15. The army from the east, verses 13 through 21. It was at the golden altar of incense that the angel offered the prayers of the saints in Revelations 8, 3 through 5. Now from this same altar, a voice speaks, commanding that four angels be loosed. These angels are apparently wicked because no holy angel would be bound. Each angel is in charge of part of the vast army that follows them at their liberation. An army of 200 million beings. 
The army is released at a precise time for a special purpose, to kill, not just torment, a third of the world's population. Since a fourth of mankind has already been killed, Revelation 6, verse 8, this means that half of the world's population will be dead by the time the sixth trumpet judgment is completed. Are we to identify this as a literal army of men moving in conquest against the globe? Probably not. For one thing, the emphasis in this paragraph is not on the riders, but it's on the horses. This description cannot fit war horses as we know them, or for that matter, modern warfare equipment such as tanks. To assert that this is a literal army and and to point to some nations such as China that claims to have 200 million soldiers is to miss the message that John is seeking here to convey. So the deadly power of these horses is in their mouths and in their tails, not in their legs. Isn't that unusual? Fire, smoke, and brimstone come from their mouths, and their tails are like biting serpents. They can attack men from the front as well as from the rear. I take it that this is another demonic army headed by four fallen angels, and that all of them are today bound by the Lord, unable to act until God gives them permission. Why they are bound at the Euphrates River is not explained. We don't There's no answer for that, though that area is the cradle of civilization, Genesis 2, verse 14, not to mention one of the boundaries for Israel, Genesis 15, verse 18. So we would think that the combination of five months of torment and then death from fire, smoke, and brimstone would bring men and women to their knees in repentance, but that is not the case. These judgments are not remedial, but retributive. God is upholding his holy law, and he is vindicating his suffering people. See Revelation 6, verses 9 through 11. Even a casual reading of Revelations 9, 20 through 21 reveals the awful wickedness of mankind, even in the midst of God's judgment. The most frightening thing about Revelations 9 is not the judgments that God sends, but the sins that men persist in committing, even while God is judging them. Consider the sins that men and women will be committing. Everything from demon worship, which goes hand in hand with all sorts of idolatry. See 1 Corinthians 10, 19-21. This will be the leading sin. Satan will be at work, of course, always under the permissive will of God, and Satan has always wanted to be worshipped. Isaiah 14, 12 through 15, Matthew 4, 8 through 10. A great deal of religion will be practiced at this time. I really want to make a point of this because all most of my life I've noticed in my latter part part of my life anyway, a great deal of religion 
more than a great deal of servanthood or serving the king and worshiping the king, but religion. So a great deal of religion will be practiced at this time, but it will be false religion. People will worship the works of their own hands. Hear me. People will worship the works of their own hands, which could well include the buildings that they construct, the machines they make, and the cities they build, as well as their idols. So here are dead sinners worshiping dead gods. See Psalms, Psalms 115. Their gods will not be able to protect or deliver them, yet these people will continue on to reject the true God and it will be common to worship Satan and idols. Murder and theft will also be common in those days. So will various kinds of sexual immorality. Sometimes I think about these things and I wonder if we're in that day already. It seems like we see so much um, evil in the world. The word translated sorcery is the Greek word pharmakia, which means the use of drugs. Drugs are often used in pagan religious rites and demon worship. So as we see the expansion of today's drug culture, we have no problem envisioning a whole society given over to these demonic practices. Mankind will be breaking the first two Mosaic commandments by making and worshiping idols. In their murders, they will violate the sixth commandment, and in their thefts, the eighth. By their fornication, they will break the seventh commandment. It will be an age of lawlessness with every man doing that which is right in his own eyes. See Judges 21, verse 25. But God is working out his own plan and neither the sins of mankind nor the schemes of the enemy will ever hinder him from accomplishing his will we've come now to the midpoint of the tribulation at revelations 10 through 14 a time during which some important events must take place So far, we've covered about three and a half years of this seven-year period. Daniel 9, verse 27. During this time, the Antichrist began his career as a peacemaker and a special friend to Israel. But now, his true character is going to be revealed, is being revealed. He will become a peace-breaker and a persecutor of the people of God. Things will not look bright for God's people during this middle stage of the prophetic journey, but they will still be overcomers through the power of the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. And I'll close here, and um, we will be going into, was it chapter 10 and 11, I think? 10 and 11 or 10 through 14 but in saying that I just want to say God bless you I pray that you received uh, 
greater insight, greater information and understanding toward the end times. Also, I, I pray that all of us see the the great need to uh, be soul winners, to get out and win souls for Christ. You know, um, I hear so many Christians talking about how much they love and I, talk, I hear them talking about love and the grace of God and and all that is God is love. All that is wonderful. But there's also the justice of God. There's also a time coming upon the earth where men and women and children are going to need to know God. They're going to need a, that way of escape if, if they will be willing to take it. So we need to um, go beyond the walls of our church and minister the Word of God because the Bible says, how, how can they hear without a preacher? So, you know what? Maybe you're the preacher at the places where you go. Maybe I'm the preacher at the places where I go. I don't know, but I do know this. The Bible says that a man that wins souls is wise. And I know that we have a whole world of people who are not born again Christians that need to be. So God bless you each and every one. I pray that you have an absolutely beautiful, wonderful weekend. And we will, I, I will probably, I will be hoping to do uh, chapters 10 and 11 tomorrow. We'll see. Lord willing, I'll be studying it, that's for sure. God bless you. <laughs>